Hey everyone, just wanted to thank you for listening to Definitely Doomed, the episode by episode Buffy the Vampire Slayer podcast. Also wanted to remind you that each episode of the podcast is a breakdown of each episode of the show, and therefore we have no concern for spoilers and the like. Please enjoy. Giles here is going to teach me to be a watcher. He says I got the stuff. Spike's like a son to me. Well, that's good. I was into that for a while, but... I got other stuff going on. You gotta have something. Gotta be always moving forward. Like a shark. Like a shark with feet and much less fins. And on land. Very good. Hey everyone, it's another episode of Definitely Doomed, the episode-by-episode breakdown of Buffy the Vampire Slayer in podcast form, delivered to you by me, Ruben, Mm -hmm. and Basil, in a form that will take you longer to listen to than it would just to watch the show. Say hello, Basil. Hello, Basil. Classic. <laughs> there you go. I'm doing good. There I, you go. I, I took a. I drank a whole lot of coffee and ate one of those weird uh, bacon, gouda, and egg breakfast sandwiches from Starbucks. Now my stomach feels weird, but also good. Everything about that is good. As soon as you said drink a whole bunch of coffee, it made me want to go to Dunkin' Donuts and get coffee and donuts. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I almost bought donuts, but then I bought the breakfast sandwich instead. Um, How are you? T- restless. Yeah. <laughs> Today we're going to be discussing that episode that I just mentioned and it's uh, my turn to do the plot description of a fairly plotless episode but um, I do my best by keeping it nice and short so this takes place immediately after Primeval um, like the night of I guess and the gang has decided to cool down from the intense fight with Adam by renting a bunch of movies and watching it together while Riley has to go off um, to a military meeting to, uh, I guess, figure out the consequences of his actions over the last couple months. Um, Be debriefed. Yeah. Well, um, so they all go over to Buffy's house and uh, are going to watch movies together and then basically as soon as they start watching movies they all fall asleep and each have individual dreams in order uh willow xander giles buffy and in the dreams is kind of a metaphorical exploration of where the characters are at and their insecurities and uh the sort of monster of the week as they end up they're being pursued by the first slayer that the combo spell that they cast in Primeval woke the spirit of the first slayer because uh, she does not think that Buffy should be working with others, that Buffy should be alone. Yep. And so Buffy has to face her, and then when she dream defeats her, they all wake up. Sounds good. Solid description of what happens <laughs> in this episode. What do you think of, not the Restless. description, but the episode? <laughs> uh, it's okay. I don't know. Um, I think Joss Whedon likes dreams a whole lot more than I do. Uh, <laughs> there's a lot of dream episodes in the show, and I'm always pretty, pretty indifferent to them. Uh, there's some 
funny stuff that happens, but then there's also some stuff that's like so intentionally uh, non sequitorial that it annoys me. Like it's like the kind of thing I thought was super funny and absurdist when I was like 15 or whenever this episode came out, but now I'm just like kind of over it. I hate that cheese guy. Uh, and yeah, I mean, obviously there's also some uh, problems with the depiction of the first Slayer <laughs> that we can get into once we get to that part. What about you? Yep, I feel basically the same. Um, I give it a C plus. Uh, interesting <coughs> side note. Um, this was the episode that sort of convinced me to watch Buffy because, like, I came home. Uh, I started watching Buffy the summer after freshman year of college, and I came home from Ultimate Frisbee, and uh, it was like halfway through Primeval. And I was just sort of like exhausted and tired of looking for something to watch. And I was like, this is fine, whatever. And then Restless came on and I was like, whoa, I didn't know television did this. This is like all weird and stuff. But <laughs> <laughs> And I was like pretty impressed and it definitely would have been in like my top 10 favorite episodes for like a fairly long time. But now I kind of feel like uh, have Mitchell sort of perfectly summed it up when we were discussing Pastoral to Die in the Country on our other podcast, Loose Cannons, when he was like, surrealism often is really hard to find a balance. It's either too, uh, so obtuse that you feel like, what is this even about? Or like you start to figure it out and then it feels like it's so obvious that, uh, like why like it's not actually interesting um right he said it better than i'm saying it now but this certainly falls into the latter category for the most part where like there's a lot of stuff where it's like yeah this like has made it's just like the dreams are used in this episode as many ways just like a way to lay out very obviously like what's happening with them in a way that's not particularly obscure or Right. Revealing it all. <laughs> Probably the most clear example being when um, Buffy tears off Willa's clothes, revealing her episode one costume. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> She'll never escape being that nerd from high school, no matter how cool <laughs> she dresses now. <laughs> it's true. I'm going to put cool and square. Or how many people though, she flays. <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> Um, alright so as I said the episode opens uh, with sort of Riley saying goodbye to the rest of the gang he's going to go get debriefed um, everybody else is going to watch movies Joyce is like I can't believe y'all want to stay up after what you did today and they're like oh we're totally wired after that spell um, and then they all pass out <laughs> classic joke yeah <laughs> Which, to be fair, I did laugh at, <laughs> even though I knew it was coming. Although I laughed more at when um, they were complimenting Xander on his ability to cook the popcorn. And he said that he pushed uh, the popcorn button. Actually, I pushed a frost, but Joyce was there in the clinch. <laughs> yeah, that part is much funnier. <laughs> Then we get to our first dream, which is Willow's, and she's painting something on Tara's back. They're discussing names for Miss Kitty Fantastico, because they say that that's not her real name. They gotta figure out what her real name is. Anything to say about that moment? There's some pretty lighting. Nice sunlight yeah, through the window. Uh, there's definitely some... It's definitely like the most openly sexual they've gotten with Willow and Tara. It's 
pretty erotic painting on somebody's nude back. <laughs> uh, and, um... Yeah, I don't know. I mean, this is, like, one of those things that, like, you talked about, like... And, yeah, I feel like I agree. When I was a teenager, I was like, oh, like, names. And it doesn't mean just, like, a name. I mean something more. <laughs> but <laughs> now that I'm an adult, I'm like, eh, it's pretty obvious. Like, it's, you know, whatever. Labels and stuff. And also, I guess, foreshadowing for things that they've hinted at with Tara before. That she's not everything she seems to be. Mm-hmm. Which ends up being sort of an anti-climax when they get to it, but I guess that's good, because it would have been very sad if it turned out she was, like, a secret villain the whole time or something. Because I like Tara. want her around. Mm-hmm. Very hurtful to Willow. Yeah. Um, she might have had to fillet lots of people. <laughs> <laughs> um... And then I don't remember if it just cuts to Sunnydale High or how they get there. Oh, I forgot. Before you jump Mm -hmm. there, all the slow motion with the kitty is pretty fun. Mm Mm-hmm. It's like... (laughs) Yeah. I wrote down slow-mo kitty and I was reading it for a long time trying to figure out what it said because it looked like it said slow-mo titty. (laughs) It's (laughs) like, I'm pretty sure that doesn't happen. (laughs) Um, so then she's at Sunnydale High and she runs into Xander and Oz there and uh, Xander's like you know she does spells with Tara now and Oz is like I heard about that (laughs) (laughs) she's looking for drama class oh that's right that's how she gets to Sunnydale High is that she's late for drama class Mm -hmm. and so she leaves to go to drama class and uh ends up at Sunnydale High somehow. Yep. And, uh, yeah, we get more uh, spell innuendo. Pretty obvious. Mm-hmm. Xander doing a spell by himself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thinking about them doing spells. Um... And then she makes it to drama class where Giles is the professor slash director of the play and it turns out it's the last drama class that they're going to put on the play that they've been practicing the whole time, even though Will has missed the class. And uh, he gives a pretty funny speech about um, what they need to do. (laughs) It's like, everyone Willow knows, including all of us, are out there in the audience and they're extremely angry (laughs) with you. (laughs) So you must hide from them. (laughs) And Rabbi Riley's really excited to be Cowboy Guy, which he gets to be because he got there early. Yep. Sounds like a Riley thing to do. Show up to class early. Um, which uh, is probably the best obvious metaphor of the whole of all the obvious metaphors and things that Riley gets to be Cowboy Guy. Yep. <laughs> Um, I like Buffy's flapper dress. Mm-hmm. She looks pretty good in it. Uh, and then we get the beginning of the costume talk where Buffy says that, you know, wow, Willow's already in costume. Nobody's going to know the truth. Yep. And then we get a little bit of their version of Death of a Salesman, which is extremely funny. And maybe... <laughs> the, the best part of the whole episode. <laughs> I've come looking for a man, a salesman. <laughs> <laughs> you men with your sales. <laughs> yeah, Buffy delivers like a really funny speech that's clearly supposed to be in like the second or third act. I can't remember who's like on a couch like crying, but she's basically yelling at Riley. Yeah. But all his sales. Yep, abandoning their family for those sales. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All growing no brain. Um, and then uh, 
Will is like sort of lost backstage in the curtains when we get the first like attack from the first slayer. She's stabbing through the curtains and it's seen that um, it's kind of creepy looking. Yeah. I think. And uh, Will runs away and ends up back in a high school classroom and uh, Buffy's like, the play's been over for days. Why are you still wearing your costume? And she's like, take it off. She's like, no, I need it. And then Buffy tears off the, cost- uh, the costume, which is her clothes, revealing Will's episode one outfit. And uh, yeah, pretty goofy. But I do like the shot of like Oz and Tara like whispering to each other and Oz being like, I tried to warn you. <laughs> pretty cruel. It's true. They're all going to laugh at you. Mm-hmm. Slick and Carrie. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, and I, I never realized that Willis' arc is basically the Carrie arc, <laughs> except oh, yeah, for she is. gets to be redeemed. <laughs> oh, yeah, like Carrie, who just kills everyone. <laughs> That's true, <laughs> and then dies. <laughs> yeah. Um. And then her heart gets torn out. And she has like a little seizure, and the camera zooms in on Xander. Episode break, I mean, commercial break, to reveal that his dream is going to be next. Sure is. (laughs) Uh, And then he's watching Apocalypse Now with the group. Uh, And (laughs) my note is this is exactly what Apocalypse Now feels like. <laughs> I don't know whether or not the writers of the show actually dislike Apocalypse Now like I do, but if they do, this is a very funny take on it. It's just one soldier like walking in a jungle forever. <laughs> <laughs> Xander desperately trying to convince the rest of the gang that it gets good soon. I also really like at this part when he asks what's going on with Willow because she's like sitting there with like a sucking chest wound and (laughs) Buffy calls her a big faker. (laughs) (laughs) This is when we find out uh, if we didn't already know that Xander is attracted to literally every woman. So (laughs) he goes upstairs to to pee and uh, runs into Joyce and like her negligee (laughs) <laughs> and uh, she says, uh, you know, men are all after the same thing, a conquest. And he's like, I'm a conquistador. And she's like, <laughs> or is it comfort you're looking for? And he goes, I'm a comfortador also. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sexy Joyce. She's really going for it with them. Mm-hmm. Sexy dream Joyce call back to the episode where Xander cast the love spell yep Joyce is hitting on him (laughs) would you like a cold drink or a hot drink I don't care (laughs) feels like kind of a hot night to me (laughs) (laughs) and then the initiative watches him pee Although he freaks out and decides not to pee because they're watching. Pretty understandable. Um, <coughs> and this is when Sander goes to uh, the playground where he finds uh, Spike and Giles dressed exactly the same, swinging on swings together. Yep. Um, apparently Spike's going to be a watcher. Uh Child says he's got the stuff. <laughs> and uh, Buffy is in a sandbox playing with uh, the sand. And Xander's uh, like, uh, sure you want to be in there? It's extremely big. And then there's like a cut. And it's like she goes from the sandbox to like an entire desert. And she's like, I'm fine. And he's like, <laughs> there's some stuff you can't protect yourself from. And uh, she goes, way ahead of you, big brother. Which I like that line. Yeah. I can tell from 
the decor that they shot all this desert stuff out in Joshua Tree, which is an extremely <laughs> beautiful part of California. If anyone's true. listening and hasn't been there, they should go. Looks really nice. I'm listening and I haven't been there. <laughs> they should go. <laughs> Betsy and I did mushrooms there. It was pretty fun. I remember that trip. I mean, yeah. I wasn't there, but... That I mushroom remember, trip? I remember discussing it. Yep. Both both meanings of the word trip. Yeah. A watcher scoffs at gravity. And then Xander looks over to the ice cream truck where Xander is. So we so, cut to Xander and Anya in the ice cream truck. Just very around. 2001. Hmm? At the very end when he's like, every time he looks Both. into a new room, he sees himself inside that room. Yeah, it feels very 2001 in two ways. <laughs> <laughs> and that this was only like a couple months away from 2001 when this was released. <laughs> yeah. Like eight. That's true. Uh, Oh, yeah, I wrote down that there's, like, a funny... Like, that the music cue in this episode is, like, a very funny, like, Enya-type song. It's a lot of, like, ooh. Yeah, I didn't like it. (laughs) (laughs) Very dreamy. Yeah. And then I wrote it away. And then I thought Xander's idea of lesbians was funny. Yeah. (laughs) which is like them all like made up and gothy (laughs) yep and touching each other just like leaning up against one another and Anya and uh says it's fine you can go back there I figured out how to uh, steer by gesturing gesturing emphatically the road (laughs) (laughs) forgot about that and Xander says, you can't just do what you want. Society has rules and borders and an end zone. And he starts crawling through some boxes to try to get back where Tara and Willow are. It's up in Sunnydale High where everybody's speaking French. Oh man, that's like a reference to being John Malkovich. I forgot about that. Mm-hmm. The crawling through the boxes part. Except it's like a bus instead of an ice cream truck. And they're all shouting, there goes Johnny Malkopi. <laughs> <laughs> like, terrible. <laughs> Screw you, Malkovich. <laughs> I would see that movie in forever, so that's my impression of Patrick's impression of the noise he makes. <laughs> but yeah, I uh, always did like that, like, Johnny Malkopi is like the exact kind of like not clever insult that small children would come up with. Um, and of course, this is another thing where it's like Xander felt out of place in high school, and you know, like everyone was speaking a different language than him. In this case, literally, and the, you know, Giles is like, you need to do these things in order to, um, like escape from this creature and then but he doesn't understand and he feels like not a part of the group and then we get to the apocalypse nowy part of the dream where we (laughs) run into snyder as kurtz colonel kurtz (laughs) and he's sponging water onto his head (laughs) and discussing how disgusting children are yeah that's probably my second favorite part of the episode Snyder's always funny, and him doing, like, a goofy Brando impression is super funny to me. The hope of our nation's future is a bunch of mulch. (laughs) I wrote down cool tunnels, and that this must have been a pretty fun episode to film, because they probably put, if they weren't already, they probably put all the sets on rollers so that they could move them back and forth together. The people mm-hmm. could walk between the sets. Yeah, I wrote the same thing down. That's funny. I wrote creepy hallways. Pretty cool. Um, oh, yeah. And I guess I didn't write it down, but Xander keeps ending up back in his basement. Another fairly obvious metaphor for his fear of uh, inability to grow up and to escape from his parents' basement and to be sort of stuck in the kind of life that they have led as a... Uh, angry 
uh, I don't know if you would say abusive because that's never hinted at specifically, but they definitely have like loud roaring fights with each other. Yeah, emotionally abusive at least. Mm -hmm. And then um, Xander's fake dad comes downstairs and Xander, uh, and then suddenly like right as he comes upon Xander, he turns into the first and uh oh is he the one who gets his um heart torn out because he's the heart of the group yeah i think so and will gets like i don't know her soul sucked out because she's the soul yeah. and then xander gets his heart to torn out poor xander then another freak out and another zoom in it's giles mm. dream time and this is probably my favorite of the four dreams. <laughs> it starts off with uh, him and Olivia, if you remember her from uh, the first episode of the season, and also Hush, uh, his sometime paramour, like uh, taking Buffy around a vampire carnival, <laughs> um, training Buffy, and uh, <laughs> she throws uh, <laughs> like a like a nerf ball like a <laughs> vampire carnival game it's like i'm a vampire i'm yeah. a vampire <laughs> <laughs> and misses and he's like keep your elbows in <laughs> and then she throws it again and hits it and turns to really excited and he's like what i haven't got anything for you or i haven't got any treats <laughs> <laughs> which is so sad That's and true. Mean. Poor um and then another Spike career change, which is also very funny. He runs he it to Spike, who's uh, taking um, photographs. He's like a model now with like the press. Yep. <laughs> He's doing these really exaggerated vampire poses. <laughs> yeah, rock star vampire. Mm -hmm. Lots of fun. And another like thing about like him having to choose between <coughs> a real life and his life his continued life as like a semi watcher because like he's torn between what to do like whether or not to go with Olivia or to stay with Buffy yeah um and then he ends up at the bronze where Anya is uh participating in a uh, open mic night and she's going to do a stand-up comedy routine <laughs> uh, while the rest of them are trying to do research as to um, what uh, is going on with the the dreams and the and the seeming demon behind it um, and uh, Anya's joke is extremely funny first of all like she's telling the joke and like some people laugh or clap and she goes quiet you'll miss the humorous conclusion <laughs> 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 and then later it cuts back to her and she's explaining why the punchline is funny and she's like see it was the duck and not the man who spoke <laughs> <laughs> and then there's like a shot of them like reading or something like that and you can see Anya in the background and she's like walking <laughs> like <laughs> doing like an exaggerated walk it's like part of the joke it's extremely funny <laughs> then we got Christoph Beck who's the composer playing the piano for uh, Giles who gets up to sing and tells people what to do we'll look through the chronicles and then everyone lifts up their lighters yeah Try not to bleed Excited on my couch. Song. I just got it steam cleaned. <laughs> yeah, and I'm not sure how I didn't know that um, the thing was the first Slayer the first time I watched this because uh, Giles says, I can defeat you with my intellect. You never had a watcher. Yep. Yet somehow I was surprised when it was the first Slayer and the fourth dream. <laughs> Whoops. Maybe you just thought it was like the <laughs> some random slayer that just didn't have one. 
Yeah, but I wasn't even thinking Slayer. <laughs> sure. You're just thinking, this is a monster. It's coming. <laughs> um, and then, of course, Buffy's dream. She starts out at the her college dorm. Anya comes to wake her up. And she looks over. And uh, she says, Faith and I just made that bed, calling back to uh, the dream at the... That other dream. Yeah, and the Faith ep- uh, episode. Um, it says, I lost them. And then, uh, count, you know, cuts to the alarm clock. And it says 7.30. Again, ca- calling back to counting down from 7.30. Um, and she says that she's got to be back before dawn. <laughs> Buffy ends up back at high school as well where she finds uh, Joyce has been built into the wall <laughs> there are mice tickling her feet <coughs> yeah I wondered if this was like intentionally sad like sort of foreshadowing because it sort of looks like she's like buried or whatever mm-hmm. I think it's a double thing where it's Spoilers. like yeah, for, foreshadowing for you know um, what's going to happen to Joyce but also at the same time sort of like you know revealing of like Buffy wall <laughs> walls between her and yeah. Joyce that have been you know happening over the past year and that like she feels disconnected from her, but she doesn't know how to, like, fix it. And, you know, she's like, you should come out from there. And she's like, okay, I don't know how, though. She's like, why don't you just punch through? <laughs> um, and then she wanders off into the initiative where she finds Riley and Adam pre-death uh, demon surgery. Just regular old human looking at him having a discussion yep it's a little unsettling they made a Riley Surgeon General (laughs) congratulations we should have a party (laughs) why didn't you tell me we're drying up plants for water domination just like boys it starts with coffee makers that think coffee makers that think And then there's a really intense shot of a gun under the t- from underneath the table that I thought was funny. Yeah, I and I want to know who the first person to do that shot was. I feel like it's like a referential shot, but I don't know what to what. But then like it happens again in Battlestar Galactica, and I feel like it was a very intentional either reference to the original or maybe a reference to this show where like some person is like you thought was good is like kind of turning bad and then like there's like an under the table shot where it like cranes in and you see that there's like a gun on the glass table that they're concealing and Mm -hmm. I was like oh that's weird that this exact same shot has been used so many times in media and then Buffy gets into a discussion with Adam and she said and I think maybe he calls her a killer or something like that and she says we're not demons and he says is that a fact in a way that I thought was a really good line it made me sad that Adam was such a bad character because thinking back I feel like he was pretty good at delivering some of his lines this actor yeah deserved better what was your name before Adam? I don't remember. And then the sirens go off, and him and Riley decide to build a pillow fort to protect themselves. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, another moment Incisive of foreshadowing. political commentary. Mm-hmm. <laughs> another moment of foreshadowing. Um... Buffy's like, I have weapons, and then reaches into her bag and, like, spreads this, like, you know, kind of mud on her face or something, and um, then Riley says something, and he's like, well, if you're going to act like this, then I'm leaving. (laughs) Uh, 
Riley. Bye, Riley. It was nice knowing you. And then Buffy runs into Tara in the desert, um, who's uh, acting as a conduit for the first Slayer to give her advice. Says True. that she's asking the wrong questions. Um, that this first Slayer has no speech, no name. I am destruction absolute. Slayer does not walk in this world. I walk in this world. I don't sleep on a bed of bones. <laughs> Says Buffy. Yep. So the first Slayer is a black lady. Uh, yep. That they describe as primitive. <laughs> sure a number do. of times. <laughs> and uh, she's got like these big dreads and like all this makeup on and uh has all kind of like real bad stereotypes yep and then there's a part where uh buffy cools uh, gives her a big lecture about hair maintenance <laughs> which is some extra cool racism thrown in there <laughs> yep <laughs> You should ask yourself, what kind of impression am I making in the workplace? I don't know. The impression that I am a black person with black person hair. Yep. And that there's nothing necessarily professional about having white person hair as opposed to black person hair. Except for it's race. very true. <laughs> comes from a pretty intense, deeply rooted idea of like trying to make black people conform to white standards in order for them to successfully integrate into society. We're not mm -hmm. going to take you as, as you are. Just like be like us and then we'll like you more. <laughs> Pretty awful. And, uh, Buffy and her fight for a little bit, which I thought the fight was pretty good. I liked the slow motion parts when they're yeah. rolling around in the desert and then uh, I guess the way you defeat the first layer is realize it's a dream and be like I'm not going to do this because then like Buffy like walks away and then like um, wakes up and then like the first layer like stabs her a bunch <laughs> and she's like <laughs> please stop that <laughs> and then they all wake up and uh then they're sitting around the dinner table having discussion about the first Slayer. And, uh, someone is like, why didn't you warn us that um, this could happen? Giles says, I said there could be dire consequences. Buffy says, yes, but you say that about chewing too fast. <laughs> but despite everyone's jokey attitude, when Buffy walks away... Mm -hmm, no, uh, when I was Buffy just going to say, it's true, you can choke. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's clear that Buffy is shaken up by the experience um, that something has happened, changed, and that she sort of looks into. I believe it's her empty room, but it could possibly be the room that's going to be Dawn's room. I'm not sure. I thought it was Buffy's room, mm -hmm. but I, maybe I'm not remembering it correctly. And we get a quote from the first layer comes back in, in her head, and it says, "Do you think?" You know what you are, what's to come. You haven't even begun. Season five. Boom. Uh, what do you think of season four? Um, well, as we've been saying kind of the whole time, um, I feel like this used to be my least favorite season, and I no longer feel that way, but uh, but it is kind of like a big mess of a season. There's some super high highs, and like there's a lot of individual episodes that are pretty strong, and like the show's kind of like really trying out like a new groove after like season three kind of uh, perfected the formula 
for like the thing i like that the show doesn't just rest on its laurels and like be like oh we're really good at making this kind of a show so let's just keep doing that show because that's what people like so like branching Mm -hmm. out and taking risks and like the whole switching from high school to college as like a metaphor for that uh exploration is pretty cool but uh as with lots of things once you like push out into something totally new gonna make a lot of missteps so it's a pretty messy season and yeah i don't know the uh initiative stuff mostly really doesn't work so it's which is a big chunk of the season but not a big Mm. enough chunk it's like stuck in the middle (laughs) what about you yep um essentially the same basically um the only sort of interesting thing about rewatching uh season four this time is that like all of my for the most part all of my favorite episodes changed so like it used to be like the really obvious ones which was like superstar um restless and hush at one point were definitely my favorite episodes from season four and now there are episodes i like just as much as i like those episodes but it's like a new man and where the wild things are Hmm. and uh i discovered that i really hate um is it just called the initiative yeah i can't remember the um the episode with the spike will rape joke oh yeah I think it's just called I think that episode is just called The Initiative yeah that was really terrible yep yep it's called The Initiative so yeah um, it's it's kind of like they're too good at doing the show at this point for season 4 to be truly bad so um even though i don't think it's as like as consistent or thematically strong as like season one that it's like never that it's uh it's just too well written and too well directed and too many everyone's too good at their characters at this point for me to dislike it more than i dislike uh season one like i used to but uh yeah, it's definitely a very confused season, and Maggie Walsh is sort of more intense and scary than Adam, but then is, like, killed immediately. Um, right. And, uh, you know, we discussed this before, I know, with season three, but that it might have been more interesting to, like, have, like, an actual discussion of, like, possible different types of good guys. Like, is this a better way to do demon stuff but then you know it's just like oh no they're just evil like it's just the initiative is just evil right because <laughs> um, you gotta is... have mm-hmm. you gotta have one big evil thing for the season for them to fight against but yeah it is like it, 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 it is like super taking the easy way out because it would be more interesting if Maggie Walsh was sort of dislikable but uh on to something somehow yeah of just it didn't have like a being... super gross plan or something like that but like right. still disliked Buffy or whatever for other reasons and you know if it wasn't so clear and of course that would also you know have tied in with like the whole college like messy metaphor because like a lot of people go to college I know I did and like the things that you thought were like pretty clear and right like you're like oh maybe the things that I you know it's not really as black and white as I thought things were in high school like good people have some bad qualities to them and bad people have some good qualities to them it's not so easily dividable the world into like heroes and villains right but they do that in season six anyway so that's 
all comes together at a certain point. Yep, this is the this is the season one to mm-hmm. that season, season three, as we've discussed. So mm-hmm. laying the groundwork, I'll get there. All right. Um, let me. Forgot to pull up the page. Let me pull but, it up. Uh, yeah, let's find out some alternate titles. Those who will not be rested. Sans rest, en français. <laughs> Buffy's dream chair says to Buffy be back for before dawn. A final foreshadowing of the arrival of Dawn Summers, who makes her appearance in the following episode. Yeah, she does. And Willow's dream, she and Tara discuss naming her, followed by Willow opening the curtain to reveal the sunrise or dawn. For the listener, Ruben is making a perplexed face. That's whatever you just read. Uh... Buffy mentions how she and Faith had just made the bed, a reference to this year's girl tear asks for who. Buffy says, I thought you were here to tell me. She looks at the clock made by Sony, which has the O and Y blacked out. The time is 7.30 a.m., so the clock reads from top to bottom, S-N-A-M. The morning sun is called the dawn. Wow. It's immediately repeated when Tara hands her the Manus card from the previous episode upside down, so it reads left to right, sun AM. <laughs> wow, they were really hitting it on the head. Mm-hmm. Maybe they had a tired day in the writer's room. They're like, maybe it'd be cool if we could just, like, imply Dawn as often as possible. And Joss was like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, let's let's give it a shot. And no one was like, mm, maybe we should pull back a little. <laughs> the leather bag from which Buffy draws the mud she smears on her face will finally appear in the seventh season episode, Get It Done. The Slayer Relic contains the Slayer Emergency Kit. Ooh. Desert in which Buffy confronts the first Slayer will turn out to be a real location. This is where Buffy will undergo the vision quest and intervention. Mm-hmm. This note is about a repetition of the distinction between killer and slayer, even though the words mean the same thing. A killer is a murderer, and a slayer is a justified act. Sid Spike is wearing and Xander's dream is worn by him again in Tabula Rasa. Giles remarks huh. the dream that Spike is like a saint to him in Tabula Rasa. Spike and Giles assume they are father and son because they both have British accents. <laughs> this part of the dream also makes reference to a shark on land which foreshadows the lone shark demon from Tabula Rasa. Nice. Mm-hmm. 
Oh, I forgot to mention it earlier, but um, we should probably at least briefly talk about the fact that, at least for me, this is the first episode I watched since Netflix upgraded the, uh, the, their um, files with the new HD Blu-ray restorations that... Technically unapproved restorations, but yes. Yeah. But there they are. Now the show is in widescreen. Looks very weird. But it's a um, it's a mixed blessing for me because I actually do like the way the HD looks a lot. The texture of people's faces and the lighting looks real, real pretty to me. But it is somewhat distracting seeing all this like negative space on the sides of the frame that were clearly not intended to be there. Mm-hmm. Restless is one of the most layered episodes of the whole series with a wealth of self-references, quotes of things of past and future occurrences, as well as literary allusions. Well, this amount of self-referential content is exactly what has led to it becoming a favorite among Buffy fans. It also makes Restless hard to understand or appreciate for viewers who are not familiar with the character's themes and the show's nature. Disagree. Nope. <laughs> you were all over that shit. Although it is full of self-references, that part is not wrong. Yeah. Compared with the other two dreams, Sanders seems somewhat long and Giles somewhat short. Giles, however, is quick to understand what the group is facing and has to be dispatched quickly. We cannot be sure that his claim, I can defeat you with my intellect, is not in fact true, but he is killed before he has a chance to try. In comparison, Sanders has more hang to deal with relating to his life and family and has a little direct interaction with the first layer. That makes sense. It's kind of a neat observation. Some of these things where it's this is saying like this is a reference to a future thing. I'm wondering if it was like a reference to a future thing, or when they were making a new episode, they're like, "Hey, let's go back and watch Restless and see if we can invent things that weren't originally there <laughs> to relate it." Yeah. Back to. I'd say it's probably at least fifty-fifty, if not more, <laughs> of the latter. This is the only episode in season 4 to start without a cold opening, instead beginning at the opening credits. Nice. Episode marks the final TV appearance of Oz, Principal Snyder, and Olivia Williams, and the first appearance of the first layer. Anya's the only character other than the Cheese Man and the First Slayer to appear in all four dreams. Tara appears in only three. Several other characters only appear in two dreams. Joyce appears in Buffy and Sanders. Riley appears only in the women's dreams. And Spike only in the men's. Interesting. Well, Xander, Willow, and Giles' dreams all contain... The other three dreamers, Buffy's dream contains none of them, other than a quick shot of the four in the living room while sleeping, still sleeping. So when it says Anya is the only character other than the cheese man and the first layer to appear in all four dreams, they mean except for Buffy. Yeah. Some of the bizarre transitions and locations where characters suddenly step 
from one familiar setting to another reflect the actual layout of the Buffy studio lot where the magic box bronze. You see Sunnydale Lecture Hall, Sunnydale High School hallways, and other locations are all housed in a large converted warehouse. Yep. As you suspected. It was rumored this episode was to guest star many past recurring characters. Willow's classroom dream was to feature Larry Bagby III, Charisma Carpenter, and Elizabeth Ann Allen, who is Amy. Um, Rubia Lamort, Jenny Callender, was to be pushing the baby carriage instead of Olivia, followed by having Olivia crying in Spike's script. Eliza Dushku was going to appear in Buffy's bedroom, telling her to be back before dawn, while David Boreanaz was to appear in the desert as the voice of the first Slayer. Unfortunately, Jocelyn was only able to recruit Oz, Harmony, and Principal Snyder to return for this episode. Too many scheduling conflicts. Yep. Or maybe not enough money. Mm-hmm. It says, um, at least for, uh, Angel and Cordelia, it says scheduling conflicts. I don't know. Makes sense. Desert of the Primitive is the same desert that appears in the episode War Stories of Firefly, also created by Joss Whedon. Nice. French, this would call called cauchemar, which means nightmare. Portuguese, it was called inquietação, which means unrest. And in German, it was called jedem seinen Albtraum, which means to each his nightmare. <laughs> oh, and uh, the backing band for um, Giles's exposition song is Four Star Mary who was also the band that wrote all the songs for Dingo's A My Baby so I wonder if this is their last appearance in this show yeah I guess we'll find out okay this I'm glad that I read through this whole thing because this is the most important note on this whole page this is not the first time Armin Shimmerman has done an impersonation of Marlon Brando. <laughs> he had previously lim- imitated Brando as Don Vito Corleone in the Star Trek Deep Space Nine episode, The Nagus. Nice. <laughs> or Nagus. That's pretty awesome. I'd like to see that episode. I'd like to go back and rewatch that show, maybe, because I remember his character being one of my favorites Quark. on that show, also. Yeah. The translation of the French segment. The house where we're all sleeping. All your friends are there having a wonderful time and getting on with their lives. The creature can't hurt you there. Oh, for God's sake, this is no time for your idiotic games. Xander, you have to come with us now. Everybody's waiting for you. That's what I've been trying to tell him. Uh, it's not important. I'll take you there. It's Xander. Uh, I mean, uh, Giles and Agnes. French parts. Mm-hmm. I'll all right. Take you there. <laughs> it's true. Uh, thanks for listening, everybody. I hope you're enjoying the podcast. If so, join us for season five. Also, subscribe using your podcast listening application and give us a five star rating and review on iTunes. So yeah. that you know that you're enjoying it. It's the only way we can tell. Mm hmm. We're lost in a sea of confusing dreams, and only you can lead us through with positive reviews. With external validation. Mm -hmm. We need it. We need it so badly. If you thought we had anything else to say about Reflis, you were restless, you were and are myth taken. (laughs) Bye. Bye.